0: If you remember in our study together last time, uh, God through Moses has just announced the fact of this last plague, uh, the tenth plague that's about to come against Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and that is the severest of the plagues, what we know as the plague of the firstborn, as basically God has announced that all of the firstborn children... Throughout the land of Egypt uh, would suffer death as the result of the consequence of their rebellion against God and their uh, hard-heartedness, their resistance to God in their lives. And again, God has been seeking to reveal himself to Pharaoh. To the people of Egypt, Uh, unfortunately, they've been resistant towards God. Their hearts have continually hardened against God, and God is continually seeking to reach out to them. But they've pushed to a place now where they, in a sense, have backed God into a place in his righteousness and justice where he has no other recourse other than to bring about his righteous judgment at this point. And he's about to show them in the severity of this last plague that he is the one true and living God who has the power over life and over death. And as God has now announced this last plague is about to come to pass, as we came to chapter 12, and we just began to look at a small portion of it together, last time we made it as far down, I believe, as far as verse uh, 13. In Exodus chapter 12, God is now instituting what we know as the Passover for the children of Israel, his people. And what God is doing in instituting the Passover is providing a way of salvation or deliverance for his people through the shed blood of an innocent substitute or a sacrifice that would die in their place so that the judgment of God and the wrath of God that was righteous and deserved, that was about to come through the plague of the firstborn, would pass over them. So God is now instituting a means of salvation For his people, he is providing a way for them to be delivered so that they don't have to suffer uh, the judgment of God upon their lives. They don't have to experience the wrath of God that's about to come. And God is now instituting a way in which they might experience that in what ultimately becomes the Passover celebration, which would become a regular and an annual observance. For his people and as we began to look at it together last time we brought to your attention that so much of what's seen in the passover feast and celebration that god gave to israel is a beautiful picture and a foreshadowing of ultimately what God would provide through His Son, Jesus Christ. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we brought to your attention last week, literally tells us there uh, that Jesus Christ is our Passover. In a sense, He became the ultimate Passover Lamb. Remember when John uh, saw Jesus in his day, John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that ultimately everything we see in the Passover and as they celebrated the Passover and the lamb was slain and the blood was applied and that allowed God's wrath to pass over them uh, instead of receiving judgment. Of course, all of those things, and we said, even if we don't point them out, we encourage you to be thinking about that as we go through this. There's so many types and foreshadowings to picture the life and the person and the ministry of Jesus Christ as we go through these things, because ultimately it is through his shed blood The blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice for us, that you and I are afforded the opportunity to have salvation and to experience forgiveness rather than God's wrath against our lives, which we all deserve because of our own sins and failures and at times rebellion against God. Now, for sake of context, what I want to do, let me just read back from chapter 12, verse 1 down through 13, what we looked at last time, just to uh, re-embed in your mind kind of what we talked about, and we'll pick up right there In verse 14, where we left off last time. This is what we left off looking at last time. It says, chapter 12, verse 1, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. So God was marking a new beginning for them, even as we experience a new beginning when we have salvation in Jesus Christ. He said, Speak to all the congregation of Israel on the tenth day. Of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the household of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, and to each man's need you shall make your account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, and you shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. So again, we took note that this lamb that was used for the sacrifice that that lamb had to be without blemish. In other words, it couldn't have defects, uh, it couldn't have blemishes, uh, it had to be pure in its uh, in its state and its condition, and of course that all spoke and foreshadowed, as Peter talks about in 1 Peter 1, how Jesus himself, uh, that we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without spot and blemish. It spoke of the sinlessness of Jesus Christ, how he is the only one, unlike us, who was able to come to this earth being fully God and yet fully man. And he lived the sinless, perfect life that you and I don't live. And in a sense, being in touch with deity because he was God and in touch with humanity as he was God who became flesh as a man, Jesus was able to provide perfect redemption as he lived out that sinless life that we can't live out and then became the perfect sacrifice as an unblemished, sinless sacrifice that God could accept When he died on our behalf. So this lamb had to be without blemish. The instruction verse 6. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. So for four days they kept it. No doubt part of that process was also to inspect it, to make sure it had no defects, to make sure that it was sinless. And in a sense, again, I'm saying sinless, that it had no blemishes in the same way that, remember, Jesus was examined. The religious leaders kept trying to find some fault in him, and for four days they kept this lamb. They became somewhat attached to it, and then at the 14th day... It was sacrificed. It was put to death. Its blood was shed. Usually the throat was slit and it would uh, be put to death by the father of the household on behalf of the family. And they shall take some of the blood, verse 7, put it on the doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and the bitter herbs. Again, that was a reminder of the, the bitter experience of Egypt and the bondage of slavery, even as our past life Prior to Jesus, the bitterness and the sourness of a life lived in sin—you know—we we may have thought it was fun back then, but truth be told, we know that it was it was bitter and miserable to live a life when we were enslaved uh, to our own passions and indulging everything. It was it was really a very bitter experience as we were empty internally, and the sourness of sin was what we often experienced. So that bitter herb would remind them of that as they partook of this. Uh, Passover celebration, do not eat it raw or boiled, but it was to be roasted with fire and you shall let none of it remain until morning. So again, the whole thing was to be consumed and burnt with fire and thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist prepared to take action afterwards. Your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand and so you shall eat it. It is the Lord's Passover for I will pass through the land, God said, of Egypt on that night and strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now, the blood, the key, verse 13, God says, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And God proclaimed, When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And, of course, that's where we get the, the term pass over. God says, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So, again, the only thing, the only thing that gave them God's mercy, the only thing that allowed the plague of death and the judgment of God to, to, to in a sense, be escaped by them, God says, is when I see the blood. Uh, they needed to comply with God's plan, with God's process. It wasn't – well, that's kind of gross. I mean this this that's a little – I don't know about – I think about this blood thing, and that's kind of narrow. I think I want to plan my own way of escape. Well, that didn't work. God had one means of escape. God had one plan of salvation, one plan of redemption in the same way today. It's only through the blood of God's Son, Jesus Christ, sacrificed for us that we can experience forgiveness and the wrath of God can pass over our lives. And we can argue about that and we can dispute that, but the truth of the matter is, you know, people, well, I don't like that way of salvation. Well, look, I'm thankful God's made a way of salvation. To have one way of salvation is extremely merciful because none of us even deserve that. Uh, And God has provided a means of salvation in the costly, sacrificial death of His Son, Jesus. And it is when God sees the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, and looks upon that, it is that in our faith and trust in His Son's precious blood that the wrath of God passes over our lives and we find forgiveness by God's plan of salvation. Verse 14, the Lord then continued, So this day shall be to you a memorial, God says, you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. So as God instituted Passover, notice it was something that they were to do annually. They were to keep it as a feast with regularity they were to practice this every year when that time came around it was to be done notice as well it was to be done to the Lord so it was something they celebrated in honor of the Lord it wasn't just about them uh, it was something that they celebrated this This Passover celebration, it was actually not just for them, but it was also for the Lord. It was a way of honoring the Lord. It was a way of showing appreciation and acknowledgement to the Lord in their lives. And God says, you shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. So something that was to continue throughout generations and is something that has to this day continued through generations and to this day still. Uh, Those who are Jews, uh, many of them Orthodox Jews, still celebrate Passover. Even some Christians, born-again Christians who are of Jewish descent um, and in a sense consider themselves a completed Jew who have come to recognize Jesus Christ as their Messiah still celebrate the Passover celebration. And they celebrate it now with a greater sense of enlightenment and appreciation Because as they participate in these things now, they have a greater depth of meaning as they look at how these things speak of their salvation and the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. So again, it was something that was to be celebrated with regularity. It was for the Lord. And of course, many of us, for you and I, as Christians and born-again believers, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, what in many ways was something that Jesus, uh, in a sense, added as an addendum to the Passover feast for you and I, uh, we perpetually celebrate the same thing, and we should, and we should celebrate it in the same way they did as a feast to the Lord. We should celebrate this as a feast to the Lord. You know, again, is communion for us? Absolutely. Is it so that we can remember Jesus and it benefits us as we remember the love of God and we remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Yes. But I also firmly believe that the same way that they kept their feasts to the Lord – I believe that when we do this, we also do it in honor of the Lord, that when we do it, it honors the Lord, it's to him, it blesses his heart as we remember him and what he's done for us. And when we refrain from doing it and say, oh, well, yeah, that's not really that important, I'm not really quite interested in it, I think that kind of saddens the heart of the Lord. In the same way, when people wouldn't participate in Passover, I I think it grieved the heart of God. As God looked upon it, I thought, man, after this incredible act of deliverance, as I let the the, 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 the the plague pass over you, and I delivered you out of Egypt in that incredible Miracle as God set them free from their bondage and took them through the Red Sea. And that was such a mighty miracle of God. I can't help but to wonder if if it didn't sadden the heart of God if they would just kind of at times say, ah, well, you know, I'll catch Passover next year. You know, I'll catch the next Passover. I'm just too, I got something else I got to do tonight. It's a little more important. And I think it saddened the heart of God. In the same way, I think to this day we both enjoy communion for ourselves. And we should celebrate it as unto the Lord, as a feast to appreciate what Jesus has done for us. Verse 15, notice God attaches a week-long feast with the Passover celebration. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats unleavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person, notice, shall be cut off from Israel. Watch what God's instituting here. A week-long convocation or feast attached to the Passover celebration. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. And on the seventh day, there shall be a holy convocation. No manner of work shall be done on them. I like that. God says worship is more important than work. I like this about the Lord. (laughs) Because a lot of times as Christians, we sometimes esteem Christian and spiritual work over we do spiritual worship. And at times we will try and substitute work for worship oh yeah i don't i didn't worship but i worked and, and and i think god's look i don't want your work i want your worship i care about your worship above all else john chapter four jesus said you know god is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth and he says and the father is seeking such to worship him uh, god cares more about our worship than anything else and works should be the then the fruit the the outgrowth of worship uh, as a secondary thing, as sort of the responsive thing afterwards, but never to replace the supplement or never to replace the primary thing or to supplement. And here, I love when God would give the feast because he say, everybody just stop working. Stop working and celebrate this. And no manner of work, he says, shall be done on either one of these days, he says, that which everyone must eat only may be prepared for you. And you shall observe, verse 17, the feast of unleavened bread. For on this same day I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. This would be in connection to God's deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, so that was the day they would slaughter the Passover lamb. From the fourteenth day of the month, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month, at evening, so for seven days, from the day they slaughtered the Passover lamb and its blood was shed, for the next seven days there was to be no leaven in their households. No one was to eat anything with leaven. He says, verse 19: For seven days, no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native in the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings you shall eat unleavened bread. So here we find the Lord attached together the feast of unleavened bread together with Passover. Now a lot of times when you read the New Testament and the Bible, you might begin to notice that a lot of times you almost see used interchangeably the Passover feast and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. A lot of times people will refer to Passover when they're talking about the Feast of Unleavened Bread or they'll just say, you know, the Feast of Unleavened Bread considering Passover. And the reason why is though, in a sense, they're two separate things. They were joined together because the day the Passover lamb was sacrificed and that celebration was done, that marked the very beginning day then of the Feast of Unleavened Bread afterwards where God asked them to refrain from partaking and having anything of leaven in their possession. Now, again, this becomes a very beautiful indication of something in a spiritual way that we understand. You begin to study the Word of God and take notice that in the Bible, leaven is always a picture and a type of evil, or it's a representation of sin, and it's a very fitting representation, because leaven, or yeast, is basically what would be taken and a small measure of leaven or a small measure of yeast would be put into a, a lump of dough and that small measure of yeast or leaven would then spread throughout the entire uh, you know batch of dough and it would cause it to rise and it would permeate and it would spread and the way basically it does spread and have its effect where it causes the bread to rise is basically through, to be very honest, a putrefication process. Basically, it's through the putrefying effect of what it does. It spreads throughout the loaf, and it infects the entire loaf and causes it to rise. Uh, and it becomes a very fitting picture, Levin does, of sin, because that's exactly what sin does. Just a small amount of sin. doesn't take a lot. The Bible says a little bit of leaven can leaven the whole lump. And it means that in a spiritual sense, just a small amount of sin. Oh, what's this? It's just one little compromise. Just making one little concession. What's the big deal? And what we find is when we make a small compromise, so often those small compromises, they take root and they spread. And just like sin, it spreads. And next thing we know, it's consumed our entire life. And we went from one little sip to being completely dominated now by a life that's consumed by substance abuse or you know, one little try or one little puff or one little snort or one little flirtation with someone that we shouldn't be you know, getting close to and all of a sudden it then begins to spread and sin does that and then it defiles the entire person. In the same way, a little bit of sin, if left tolerated in a family or in a congregation, a little bit of leaven can leaven the whole lump. And this is why sin is a very serious thing. And, and, and again, it, it, it's often a hidden thing. You know, It was just a small amount. It was, it was kind of secretly put in, and it causes a rising effect and a putrefying, decaying effect. And this is exactly what happens. So look, whether it's in our lives, whether it's in our families, whether it's in the congregation of God's people, uh, God says, look, it, it's not your removal of sin that saves you. It's the fact that you have been saved that should inspire you to, to remove sin from your life. Again, the Passover celebration, which pictured salvation, happened before the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's not through our acts of repentance and cleaning up our act. Oh, I've got to get all the sin out of my life. If I get all the sin out of my life, then God will like me and will accept me. So if I just clean up my act, that's what I'll do. I'll just clean up my act, and then I'll be acceptable to God, and I'll weigh out my goods and bads, and then I'll get to heaven. The Bible says that we're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works. Nobody can. If we could do something, Jesus would have never have came and did what he did, and God wouldn't have allowed that to happen to his son. He wouldn't have allowed his son's blood to be shed as an innocent substitute. That was the only way. And see, in the same way for us, our seeking to cleanse the leaven and the sin out of our lives, to repent of things and and want to put out of our lives things that are displeasing to God, should be a responsiveness afterwards to the gratitude of, oh, the wrath of God has passed over my life. Jesus has saved me by his blood, so out of gratitude, I don't want something in my life that he had to die for. I don't want to tolerate some compromise or sin in my life. That's the very sin that caused him to suffer and die on my behalf. And the same way, you again, you know, from a family perspective or a congregational perspective, they were to cleanse these things from the presence of them so that it didn't have a damaging, destructive effect long term. So for seven days, they were to remove those things. And there was seriousness about it. God said, if it's tolerated, he said, that person has to be cut off because of the effect ...that it could ultimately have. Verse 21, it says, "...then Moses called for all the elders..." So he brings together the the male leadership of the nation of Israel, brings the elders together. "...pick," he says, "...and take yourself lambs according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. "...and you shall take a bunch of hyssop," God says, sort of a weak branch, if you've ever seen a, a hyssop branch... Take a bit of the, the hyssop branch, he says, dip it in the blood of the sacrificed lamb that's in the basin and strike the lentil and the door post. Now, why not the, uh, why not the threshold? You know why, why the lentil and the doorpost but not the threshold? Because they would kill the lamb at the threshold of the door. There was usually a trough there that would run in front of their houses so that when the Niles would flood and and the water would come up, it wouldn't go in the house. There usually was a trough in the front of a door uh, where we today put thresholds. So uh, there was already blood at the bottom, and the idea is, again, they were completely covered by the blood, that it went around all four portions of the door area. He says, put the blood on the two doorposts and as well, none of you, notice verse 22, shall go out of the door of his house until morning. So they were to remain where? They were to remain under the covering of the blood. It wasn't enough just to say, in a sense... Oh, yeah, I understand the concept. They had to personally comply with their own choice and decision to make, in a sense, personal application of the word of God to their lives. God said, no, this is, th- this is the design. You must believe and respond personally to my word for it to have effect in your life. God said, apply the blood, and he says, and no one shall go out of the door of his house... Until morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lentil and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. So safety was only available if they by faith believed upon the word of God in such a way where they then applied it personally to their lives. They needed to stay in the place that God told them to be. They needed to be obedient in, in a faith that was responsive personally. Well, well, yeah, my dad put the blood on the door, but whatever, I'm going to go do whatever I want. It didn't work that way. They needed to keep themselves personally under the covering of the blood by believing enough that what God said was true, and that was the standard that they needed to be saved and delivered by. In the same way, you know, there are lots of people who know information about Jesus Christ. There are lots of people who know facts about Jesus Christ and they know the facts that Jesus Christ died on a cross and he supposedly died for the sins of the world and he supposedly rose again. And they know about Jesus Christ, but they don't know Jesus Christ because they've never personally themselves believing those things so sincerely said, you know what, Jesus, what you did, you did for me and I need it for my life. And there was never a personal appropriation, and that was necessary for each one of them to remain in the house under the covering of the blood for their own salvation and deliverance. God says, verse 24, you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever, and it will come to pass when you come into the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised, that you shall keep this service... And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service or ordinance, that you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped, and the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron they did. So, As the result of God instituting this celebration, giving them this instruction, notice the Lord inserts here this little aspect, and we'll talk about this more next time because I want to develop a little of what's being discussed here, where part of the purpose in celebrating the Passover was also the transmission of spiritual understanding from the parents to their children. Notice they were to celebrate it together, it says there, that when you observe this thing, God says, verse 24, for you and your sons, it, God says, it will come to pass that when this is happening, that your children will say, uh, Dad, why are we doing this? You know why do we do this with the lamb, and why do we eat the bitter herbs, and and why do we purge leaven out of our homes, and and God says in this celebration of this together as a family, as you worship together, will create an opportunity in the wonder of a heart of a child for you then to convey and communicate spiritual truth to them that they could understand that there would be inquisitiveness in them that would cause them to ask. And it would create a platform for children to come into an understanding of the truths of God for themselves, that they might grasp those things. So again, that and again, that was by God's design. That was purposeful. That was God's idea. <laughs> you know, you, why do you drag me to church, Mom and Dad? Because God said so. You know, why do you make me celebrate the things you do? Because God said so. You know, take that up with the Lord. It creates an opportunity, and again, because children, with children, so much more is caught than taught. You know, I have seen in the lives of my children, you know, yes, I try and speak to them about the things of God and talk to them about the things of the Lord, but I have come to recognize that a lot of times a lot more spiritually is caught than what is just taught with words of instruction. That is, they see me observing spiritual practices. They see me reading my Bible, see me praying See me worshiping the Lord, seeing me making choices and our family and my wife and I saying, you know what, look, this discipline of wanting to go to the house of the Lord and worship, this is a priority in our family. This is a priority in our lives. Children see and they observe that and they then begin to recognize. And I find that has a sense of authenticity that has way more value than just saying things to them, which can be just another form of information of somebody just trying to inundate them with more facts and more verbal dialogue that they observe and they see these things. And as they would celebrate this together, God says it will create an opportunity, an opportunity for beautiful discussion to begin to take place as that happens. Turn with me quickly over to Luke 22 before we enter back into worship and Celebrate Communion. I just want to show you something and then we'll go back into worship this evening. Luke 22. Again, as we talked about how the Passover was instituted, how that had a direct connection with ultimately what we do in celebrating communion. And it's very beautiful to study Exodus 12 and the way they would celebrate Passover traditionally and the practices and to see how so much of it is connected to our celebration as Christians with communion as we celebrate it to remember what Jesus has done for us notice it was on Passover when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper or communion Luke 22 verse 13 says that they went and found it just as Jesus said to them and prepared what the Passover so he's celebrating the Passover with his disciples and when the hour had come Jesus sat down with the 12 apostles with him and he said to them look what Jesus said With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks. And take this and divide it among yourselves. There were multiple cups in Passover celebration. So he's just celebrating the Passover. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. In verse 19, then he took the bread Gave thanks and broke it, gave it to them, instituting now the Lord's Supper, a new understanding from the Passover celebration initially. And as he broke the bread, this time he didn't pray the typical prayer, but he said, this is my body, which is given, and the idea is broken for you, and do this now, notice, not in remembrance of Passover, do this in remembrance of me. ...as the ultimate Passover Lamb of God that I'm about to become as I die for your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup, and this was probably the third cup, the cup of redemption. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Not the blood of a Passover lamb. The blood of the Lamb of God, slain for the sins of the world. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So again, how beautiful to see here that when Jesus sat down with his disciples that night celebrating the Passover before his suffering and death and crucifixion for the sins of the world. And he institutes communion or what we know as the Lord's Supper, the broken bread which speaks of his broken body and the cup which reminds us of his shed blood for our sins. Jesus says there, verse 15, with fervent desire, I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Why? Jesus had celebrated many Passovers with the disciples. Jesus went to synagogue. He observed the law of the Old Testament. He celebrated all the feasts. He had celebrated Passover multiple times probably with the disciples. But he says, I have been longing for this Passover. I have been waiting for this Passover. Why? Because he knew that that Passover was about to have its complete fulfillment in his own life as he became the personal sacrifice for the sins of the world as the Passover lamb, as the son of God and the savior of the world. And what a beautiful experience that must have been and what must have been in the heart of Jesus as he was celebrating that with them. Thinking about what this meant and what meaning it must have taken on to them ultimately as they remembered the Passover celebration and now what Jesus was saying to them.